Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. All right, fans, welcome in. This is Red Sox Beat here on CLNS Radio. Another week, another off-season show to get to. We have an exciting show for you, but first, of course, just a reminder, this week, Red Sox Beat is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchased by visiting casper.com backslash Celtics and enter the promo code Celtics. Uh, We have a very exciting show for you today. Uh, we're going to be joined by Comcast Sportsnet New England's Trenny Kuznarek in just a few minutes here. But first, as a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Red Sox underscore Beat on Twitter. We are Red Sox Beat Podcast. Uh, we are, of course, on iTunes and Stitcher. I ask you every week if you can go on, rate, review, and subscribe us on iTunes. It's the biggest thing you can do for us here to help us out on Red Sox Beat. Um, both of you, both uh, Jess and Lauren, are back again this week. The clan is all together. How are you both doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I got a new car this week, so I can't complain. You're part of the Jeep family. I'm excited. I am part of the Jeep family. Xander the Grander, named after the one and only Xander Bogart. <laughs> That's how much of a fanboy I am about Xander Bogart. Uh, um, but not to keep her waiting any longer, of course, we are joined by CSNNE's Trenny Kisnerik. Uh, how are you doing today, Trenny? I'm well, and I would like to point out that I sleep on a Casper mattress, and it is awesome. It's a wonderful oh. sponsor to have. Their mattress <laughs> is amazing. And they so did excited. not pay me to say that when you said the sponsor. I was like... Sweet, I have a Casper mattress, and I love it. <laughs> Look at that. We didn't, we didn't that. tell you about it. <laughs> nope. yeah, that was not planned, folks. Uh, Nick, if you're listening, that was not planned, we swear. She really no, has it's one. No, not, it's not. I swear, to God, I swear to God, I did not know you guys were sponsored by Casper, and I literally do sleep on a Casper mattress. And now I want to buy one of their pillows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's actually really awesome. Um, so, yeah, so we've had a lot to talk about since the winter weekend. Before that, it was kind of a, a lull situation in the offseason doing a show every week. But we got plenty to talk about. We're going to catch up with Trenny here. And, uh, Trenny, I think the biggest topic still coming into the season is whether or not Hanley's going to be able to play first base. Um, can this team be successful with him on this team, first base and attitude-wise? That's the $64,000 question, which was a television <laughs> show that was on far before any of your – probably before my time, to be quite honest – um, I don't know. I mean, this, it just, it's never worked with him at any, at any level, wherever he's been, whether it was when he was in Miami with the Marlins back when they were the Florida Marlins and had those teal uniforms, whether he was at the Dodgers <laughs> last year with the Red Sox. I just, I think he's one of those guys who 
you know, you look at and he's he has all of the quote unquote tools that you want for a player. He's got all the physical things that you think is going to constitute a successful baseball player, but he can't put it all together. He he is his own worst enemy. He puts himself in situations and he just doesn't I don't I hate to say like he I don't know him personally, so I don't want to attack his character, but at least on the field and in in his job, and baseball is his job, he doesn't seem to be that dedicated to the craft. I mean, last year he goes to spring training, and the talk is, oh, look at Hanley. He's working on that green monster every day. I mean, we yep. spend so much time watching him inside JetBlue Park and getting all this video and hearing everyone rave about how hard he worked in left field, and then he gets to Boston, and that work goes out the window. You know, he might do it for show every once in a while. And mind you, we're there pretty early. I mean, a lot of writers, I don't get there really, really early, but you know, the Sean McAdams, the P Dave, the Nick Bardos of the world, some of those guys are getting to the ballpark on certain days at two, two thirty in the afternoon around the time that players are arriving. So they see when guys are out there doing early work. How often did you read a tweet from somebody and say, Oh, look, there's Hanley working hard at being a better left fielder. You know, and for John Farrell to say, oh, well, I think he'll be able to master first base in spring training. Well, what based on what like, what makes you say that based on what Hammy Ramirez did last year? To me, yeah. nothing. And Travis Shaw had a great year. He, he was a nice complimentary piece at first base. But I think he's another one of those guys that can he do it long? He's never at any stretch of his career maintained that kind of offensive um, offensive power or offensive um Offensive numbers. He, it's not like he had great number, like good numbers for a long stretch of time. I'm like totally. Yeah, it wasn't like, consistent. Thank you, consistency. Yeah, went out a little too late last night. Words are hard. <laughs> um, yeah, it's okay. No it's offensive. Sunday morning. It's Sunday. We get yeah, it. Sunday. <laughs> offensive consistency. So what makes anyone think that all? And maybe the light bulb did go on, but I'm not convinced that they have a solid first base tandem there. One that can be yeah. good start to finish. Yeah, for me, the light bulb will never go on with Hanley Ramirez. Um, Trina, you don't want to do it, but I will. I bash his character a lot, though these two can tell you. I'm not the biggest Hanley supporter. Um, but the biggest thing I've heard, too, is some people are like, oh, well, this, this team needs to add another bat. Hanley's a bat. Like People forget what he did in April last year before he ran into the wall because he had no idea what he was doing in left field. Um, no common outfielder would run into the wall like he did. Right. But he's going to play first base now where he's in a situation that he's comfortable fielding ground balls back in the infield. He should not run into a wall. If he does now, then God bless his soul because there's nothing near him that should even resemble a wall that he should run into to hurt himself. So if that's the case, he should be putting up these numbers that he did beginning of last year. Obviously, not as many. he's not going to hit 10 home runs every month. But like he should be putting these offensive numbers up again. I'm not willing to get – I don't think he's going to do well at first base. I really don't. I just don't know. I, the thing that worries me most about him at first base from a defensive perspective is now you're involved. Okay, so left field, you're involved in maybe – let's just say – and I, this is not scientific. I'm just guessing here. <laughs> let's say 40% well, okay. of defensive – total defensive plays. Yep. But at first base, what are you involved in? 75% of total defensive plays? So to be real, I mean, I feel like he's like that kid. He's like my niece playing soccer. Like she gets bored and starts picking up dandelions or at least she did when she was younger. Like is Hanley going to get bored and start picking up dandelions, you know, at first base? I don't know. I just, that, that, I mean, I guess he was fine when he was at shortstop. So maybe the infield is just a more natural place for him. But again, I'm suspect until I see him actually do it. And let's remember, I mean, he's not old, but he is 32. So 30 is sort of that, you know, golden age where people start, to say that in athletics, after you turn 30, 
you're kind of on the downside of your career. I don't think that's as true anymore. But then I would also say, I mean, how, how well does Hanley take care of himself? You know, is Hanley Tom Brady, where he's eating, you know, organic and nothing with high acidity and has a nutritionist and all this stuff? Or is Hanley your typical baseball player who's like eating a hot dog and drinking a Diet Coke? He's eating fried dough in the clubhouse, let's be honest. Right. He's, he, <laughs> so, he's packing on the pound. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just don't know, you know, does he, again, does he hit that, did he hit an offensive wall last year because he ran into the wall that probably played a, played a part in, in it? But would he really have, I wonder, would he have maintained that level of offensive proficiency throughout an entire year, even if he was moderately healthy? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so, personally. We're all, we're all not I mean, the guy's paid $19 fans, million. Dollars. <laughs> he's not worth to be, 19, a to be a bum. He's not worth $19 million. Yeah, the money's a, a separate issue. All right, well, let's, let's move on from him. Uh, Trani, let's move on to the manager situation because it's definitely a hot topic for a lot of people, and especially with with what happened last year, how well the team played when Tori Lovello took over for John Farrell after his cancer. So they kept both of them. John Farrell's still the manager. Tori Lovello got paid, got got a raise to be the bench coach. So do you think that Farrell is on a short leash, and how long do you think they give him if if the team doesn't do well? I mean, it's hard to not read the tea leaves and think he's at least sort of on a short leash, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that Dave Dombrowski – now, of course, Dave was able to see him manage from afar, and it was Dombrowski's 2013 Tigers that, you know, John Farrell's 2013 Red Sox beat to go to the World Series. So he's, he's clearly, he's clearly um, aware of what he's capable of doing as a manager. But t- to me, to not let Lavello entertain other managerial places and and our opportunities and to give him a raise says to me I I mean again this is this is just a hunch but I I I can see a little bit of a wink wink nod nod listen if things don't work out you're our guy and I'm not sure that things are going to work out I I just don't see I I, to, to, to me if I'm John Farrell and if I'm actually the Red Sox, how, like, do you really want your manager in that position? I mean, maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe maybe John just really wanted. Maybe they were worried about his health. Maybe they are worried that he could have a relapse, or maybe he isn't going to be strong enough to be able to do maybe to handle all of the things he's been able to handle in the past. I don't know what his physical situation is. Um, so maybe that's why they kept Lavello around. Like, listen, we may just sort of need a backup guy just in case John can't handle all of the rigors of being a manager next year, physically handle them. He may need, you know, he may not be able to come to the park every day at two o'clock and not leave until midnight or one o'clock in the morning. You know, he may need somebody that's there to do some of the things that he used to do, but if that's the case, then why are you managing and why not just move into more of an operational position within the Red Sox if you wanted to keep Farrell around? But if I'm, if, if I'm the Red, I don't know. I just feel like it's never good to have the guy who, turn things around, get a raise and sit behind the guy that was on the hot seat already last year. I just, I feel like it's a bad formula. That's a, it's just, I think it's human nature to try and want to prove your worth when that happens. And what, what's, what's keeping Farrell from trying to overthink situations or, handle things differently than he has in the past in an effort to prove that he's worthy of still being the manager. 
I don't know. I To me, this is one of the biggest issues I think the Red Sox face. Because, I mean, the manager obviously can't go out there and play for the guys, but there's so many decisions that need to be made, small decisions within baseball, be it lineup changes, bullpens, defensive uh, defensive replacements late in games, um, handling of players. And I, I just can't help but feel that if you kind of – if you have this other person that's sort of hovering near you, that a natural human reaction is to feel that pressure and react to that pressure. And you hear all of, all of the talk about how Lavello is the biggest John right. Farrell supporter and everything, but mm-hmm. still the pressure's got to be there, just sitting there waiting waiting for something to happen for the team to be bad. I mean, do you think that Farrell's a good manager? Because he's only had one good season, really. I, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I personally thought he should have been let go last year. And I really, I'm going to be honest, I thought for sure that they would use his illness as a reason to replace him. I was convinced that on December 12th or something, we were going to get this, we were going to get a press conference or a press release that said, you know, John just isn't healthy enough to be the manager, but we value his opinion. He's staying within the Red Sox organization. It's going to work in the front office as a special assistant to Dave Dombrowski or something like that. I thought for sure that was coming. I was really surprised when they, um, put their and, and to be honest and I should have looked up the exact quotes and maybe rewatched the press conference where Dombrowski said they were going to stick with Farrell but from my memory from my recollection I don't remember it being this resounding support like this is our guy we're going to win with him going forward it was more just like yeah we're going to have him be our manager yeah and I'm shocked too real quick Kenny the fact that they um like you said, that demeanor wasn't there. That this is our guy. They didn't. I don't think they gave Dombrowski a chance to really give him, to get his guy in here. I don't believe that John Farrell is Dombrowski's. No, guy. and if you remember when they hired Dombrowski, and it, I think it was shortly either before or after. I think it was shortly before that Farrell was diagnosed with cancer and Lavello took over. It wasn't like Dombrowski came in and said, "Listen, John Farrell does not need to worry about his future. He is our manager. We're having him." take care of himself, but when he is ready, he will be back. It was, yeah, I visited with John. I really wish him the best for his health. There were there was nothing that indicated that Dombrowski wants this guy running his team. Nope. And I, I, I don't, I mean, again, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, again, it, it, it probably doesn't, you know, it doesn't do us any good to guess, but I wonder if they were afraid of looking bad of, Here's this guy who just went through chemotherapy. Oh, and BT dubs, you're fired. You know, <laughs> so I wonder if it was like his Dombrowski's hands were a little tied where he's like, I can't come in here. I've already gutted some things. I can't come in here and then be the jerk who, who fires the guy who won a World Series two years ago and has cancer. So but I still think I, I don't know. I, I just feel like when you like when you have your guy and I, I suppose words are empty. How many times have we heard general managers say, oh, well, I fully support coach, manager, fill in the blank guy. Coach X, coach Y. Right, yep. exactly. Coach X, manager Y. And then like three weeks later, they're fired. I mean, it happens all the time. But you usually do something. I, I feel like there's usually a, Something in your actions or your words that indicate that this is the person you want. I'm not sure that that's what we have here. Yeah, it's hard to say, and it feels like a Tory is a perfect plan B, whether Farrell can't physically manage his team or if he does terrible in the first half of the season and they have to get rid of him. It just seems like he's on Tory's there for whatever to step up when he needs to. And 
Now, Trenny, kind of switching to the pitching aspect, obviously the Red Sox signed David Price, um, but is he enough to of addition to this rotation to push the Sox over the top? And what's he like? What's he going to bring to the rotation this year? Well, I mean, he definitely brings a legitimate ace. I mean, as we learned last year, you can't have five aces. I mean, unless they're actually like legitimately five really good pitchers, which that's not what they had at all. Not even close. I mean, he can certainly. I think one really good. Um, I think one really good pitcher can solidify a rotation and can change the entire complexion of a rotation. Because I think what it does is it has a trickle down effect, right? So. If you are in a slump and some of your other pitchers aren't going out and pitching that well, but you still have a David Price who every time he goes out there, he keeps you in games. It, one, it takes some pressure off the, off the lineup to not feel like, oh, great, we've got to score 15 runs again tonight because, you know, Rick Porcello or Clay Buckles is on the mound. Um, and two, I think it also takes pressure off guys who, quite frankly, like Rick Porcello, like Clay Buckles, I would even say like Joe Kelly – um, aren't really in the mindset to, sorry, that was my, I thought I had my thing muted. Um, okay. I, uh, I just, I don't think they are of the mindset of being an ace. Um, so this allows them to also just sort of do their job, not to borrow a, a line from Bill Belichick. Um, too soon, Trini, too soon. Yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I should be in San Francisco right now. I'm so bad. Um, so I think that in and of itself will help shift the whole dynamic of, of the rotation, but there still are questions, you know, can Rick Porcello not having to be, you know, I mean, now being able to play to his ability, not to his contract, if that makes sense. I think when they gave him all that money before he did anything last year, I think again, natural human reaction for Rick Porcello is to show that he earned and he deserves that kind of money. Right. Maybe now there's a guy who makes a lot more money in front of him. So he doesn't have to be the ace. So maybe now Rick Porcello can just be the guy that he was in Detroit. I think also Dombrowski, having played with Dombrowski and with Price probably helps that a little bit as well. For Clay Buckles, let's be honest, he might have aced stuff, and I'm using air quotations, which I know people can't see, but he certainly hasn't (laughs) been an ace at any point in his career. So again, he doesn't need to be that this year. So David Price can be that. Um, So I wonder if that, if it just sort of, the, the ship sort of writes itself. But again, can Clay Buckholtz stay healthy? He never has before. Why would this year be any different? Um, what are we going to see from Eduardo Rodriguez and like a, even a Henry Owens or a Brian Johnson the second time around when teams have a lot more information on them and they're allowed to prepare for these pitchers that they'd never seen before? So all of those are kind of intangibles. But I think that they're rota- – I think having David Price does significantly change the complexion of the rotation and of the pitching staff as a whole. Yeah, my my only question with David Price is playoff time, but we're not going to talk about playoffs until we actually get there. Um, and that's trendy why I hated the argument of people saying, well, he can't pitch in the playoffs, so why do you want to sign him? Well, he still is pretty much a Cy Young pitcher every year, so why not sign him? Uh, for David Price? Yeah, 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 it's for David Price. I mean, I mean, listen, people can complain about the money and they can talk about what he's done in the postseason, but they have the, the Patriots. Wow, that was that was so Freudian. <laughs> the, the Red Sox have to they had to do something. Um, yeah. And why would you not go after the best pitcher that was out there? It's not like you don't have the money. Honestly, I mean, that I think is what frustrated people about last year about the way that they handled things. They handled it like a mid-market team. Like, we're not going to go out and spend a lot on a guy. We're not going to go after John. We're not going to keep John Lester because we're not going to spend that kind of money on that kind of a guy. And then what happened? You know, you were in last place again. 
Um, so I, yeah, to me, it was just sort of a no brainer. Like, why wouldn't you, if you could get him to come here, why wouldn't you? My only, my big, my one concern about David Price, um, is how does he handle Boston? Because Mm -hmm. Boston is different and you have to be a certain type of athlete to succeed here. Um, and then this is a guy who, you know, got frustrated with, David Ortiz, and I, I don't think that's lingering at all. I think it's bygones are bygones, but he easily gets frustrated, right? You know, a guy pimps a home run on him, he gets pissed off about it. You know, he loses a game in the postseason, and I'm in the I'm in the media scrum that's interviewing him afterwards, and he starts calling all of us nerds. Like, you guys are just a bunch of nerds. You know, he gets frustrated. This year in the postseason, having not ever won a postseason game, what does he say before he takes the mound in Kansas City? You know, I'm like a duck. On the surface, everything looks calm, but underneath, you know, everything's going, you know, paddling 100 miles a minute. Well, guess what? Every time you step on that mound in Fenway Park or or uh, Yankee Stadium in particular, that's like it's not a World Series, but it's a big game. The pressures are different. You're not, if you if you go through a stretch, David Price, where you're serving up dingers to the David Ortiz's on the other teams and you're whining about it, this is in mm-hmm. Toronto. This isn't Detroit where a couple of people might be like, oh, David, it's okay. Pat on the back. People will attack you. And he's really, you know, he's active on social media. He's act, he's, he interacts a lot with fans. It'll be interesting to see how he handles the first sign of any adversity. And all the pressure is yeah. going to be on him, too, because everyone's expecting him to be the savior of the team. Everyone's though. expecting him to be the <laughs> yeah. savior of the team. So yeah. that's my, and that's, I suppose when I say that's a, you know, that's, that's my one little concern. That's actually probably a pretty big concern. It, it's probably the biggest concern is how he's going to handle Boston uh, besides the playoffs, but we're not we haven't gotten the playoffs in a couple of years. So we're not going to yeah, worry no, about no, that until yeah. it actually tune up. Let's, let's let him pitch us there before we actually worry about his issues in the playoffs. Um, Trenny, actually a big a kind of question I want to ask you, which kind of goes along with the next topic I want to bring up. Um, David Ortiz coming into his last season. Announced his retirement. He's gonna get the he's gonna get the shrines of parades going through the ballparks. <laughs> the Yankees have already come out and said they're gonna do something for him. Um, so no shocker there. Kind of a two part thing here on Ortiz. One, what's his influence gonna be on David Price? Obviously, you said that you believe their spat is over and they're good now. So what effect can he have positively to help David Price pitch well here in Boston and kind of keep his head on check? And two, just can David Ortiz succeed at keep the way he did last year? Is he gonna have that same kind of year? I mean, I guess we're, uh, I'll, I'll start with the second part of that first. Um, you know, until he proves me otherwise, why wouldn't we think that he could succeed? And again, my my numbers may be off, but didn't he have 37 home runs last year? Right? Yep. It's right around there. Yep. Yep. I it. um, yeah, I mean, yeah. guy did that at 39 years old. What, so what's, it's not like he has showed in the last couple of years any signs of, um, you know, it's sort of like, okay, Clay Buckholz, show me you can stay healthy on the negative side, but on the positive side, show me that David Ortiz is going to finally hit, yep. hit the lull. And I, and I feel like He's a guy who, if he, you know, he's retiring. He says this is it for him. So there must be some reason in the back of his mind that he feels like I just can't do this for a long time anymore. But I would guess part of the sort of motivation and adrenaline of this year might carry him even if his, if physically he starts to, to, to slump a little bit. But, I, you know, until he shows me otherwise, I, I, I can't see why he – why he won't be successful. And again, it, he's, all he has to do, and I say all he has to do, and it's not like it's easy to hit, you know, a hundred mile an hour ball that's moving all over the place or something, you know, um, curveball that's doing a 12-6. I mean, that's not easy, but he just has to hit. 
So I, the yep. wear and tear on his body um, should not should actually even be less than last year when every once in a while he had to play first base because they didn't have a first baseman. Yep. And Hanley was a knucklehead. So even if Hanley's a knucklehead this year, I think you'll still at least have Travis Shaw. And you can always have um, – Oh my god! I almost just said Bryce Harper. How nice would it be if they, oh, if they had? That'd be awesome. If they had do that. Brock Holt. Brock Holt. Bryce Harper. Not even in the same stratosphere, by the way. But no. and, you know, and, there's, and even though Brock Holt told me last year that first base is the least comfortable for him, he can play it. So you have some depth there. So I don't think they'll have to turn to Ortiz. And the nice thing is, you do have Hanley Ramirez, who probably long term would prefer to be a DH. So if you need to sit Ortiz for a game or two. Um, or he does start to feel the physical effects and it's maybe a series that let's be honest, doesn't matter as much, maybe against an NL team or, um, you know, maybe you don't play him in an NL team and an NL stadium this year at first base, or maybe you do once just towards the end of the game or something. If you don't, if defense isn't a top priority, you know, maybe they're just a little more careful with him, um, at 40 years old. But I, yeah, but I've, and it's, sorry, in your first part of the question, I'm not sure how he can help price. I mean, he can certainly probably offer him advice and how to survive in a market like this. But, you know, I, I guess when I think about that, I mean, what was what was Ortiz wasn't able to really, I mean, Panda put on, you know, we'll come 20 stress pounds from playing mm-hmm. here last year. Yeah. Um, you know, back when Carl Crawford was here. I mean, there were so many other players that you, you wondered and questioned how they could ha- how they could handle, um, you know, the, the media scrutiny and the spotlight of playing in Boston. And I just think that's such a personal thing. I think Ortiz can certainly go try to make him feel as comfortable as possible here, but I'm not sure that there's anything that he can do or say that's going to make him come up big in big situations. Yeah. And the Ortiz situation in terms of him kind of performing part, part of me in the back of my head, trying to just thinks that, um, this might not be him thinking he's he not be able to play. I think it's him wanting to go on his own terms after the team might have said behind doors, hey, it might be your last year here. I personally believe that. Um, I'm not a fan of his ownership group. I, everyone who knows me can tell you that. But I just believe there's something behind the scenes that is nudging him out that makes him announce this on his own that he doesn't want to do anymore. Yeah, I mean, you could be right. Although I do sort of feel like Ortiz is so stubborn that if that was the case, he would – and again, I mean – you know, I, I, I to say I know Ortiz personally, sure, a little bit in a professional light. I don't know yeah. him as a – none of us who cover the team um, really truly know these guys. We know what they will give what – the, what they give us, the, 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 what they project and what they want us to know. But yep. what, I under, what I get from Ortiz is nobody tells that guy what to do. And if that was the case, and if, if management was like, listen, we're not signing you to another contract, this is it, I think Ortiz would not hesitate to be like, fine, you don't want to sign me to another contract? Fine, I'll go find somebody else to play for. Or I'll play this year out, but I'll be damned if I'm retiring because I'm not done yet. I, yep. just, I have a hard time. I mean, maybe I'm, it's not, I don't entirely disagree with you. I sort of feel the same way as you do about, this, about the ownership group. Mm-hmm. I think they're like the it's like, it's like Scooby Doo. They're those damn meddling old people <laughs> instead of damn meddling kids. Um, That's funny. I I just I I think they're overly. I I like owners who are a little more hands off um, and, and just sort of write the checks. Um, and maybe and again maybe that is the case. Maybe they're like, listen, buddy, you've sort of played out your time here. We'd like to do something nice for you. But I feel like if it was bad blood in any way, shape, or form. 
Ortiz would use it to his advantage to make them look bad and make him look better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I was, I've been saying that I think he'd do everything on his own terms. He just wants to go out on top. I don't think that he's going to let anyone tell him what yeah. he's going to do. Yeah. So. And I think he, and I think he saw what Rivera got and what Jeter got. And he knows that if he goes somewhere else, he's not going to probably get that same kind of reception because there's a nostalgia to going out with the team that you had, you know, obviously wasn't drafted by the Red Sox, but the team that you basically became your home for, you know, what, 14 of his 16 years or whatever it is in the league, um, that he's going to be treated differently, that he's going to get one of these big time farewell tours where everybody's giving him, you know, crap at every stop and writing a check to his charity and things like that. So I think it's more, I, I do give him credit though, man, a lot of guys, you know, you look at Kobe Bryant and the NBA, I would even, even though Peyton Manning is in the Super Bowl, I, I would even, you know, say Peyton Manning to an extent you see these big time, big star athletes who hang on too long. And I wonder if Ortiz, if we're not giving him enough credit and he sort of learned his, learned from watching others and says, I don't want to be that guy that everyone's talking about that he should have hung it up two years ago. I want to go out at the top of my game the way that I want to go and not be forced out. Not be like Kobe Bryant. <laughs> not be like Kobe Bryant. Like right. nobody wants Like So sad. Kobe, stop shooting the ball, man. <laughs> just stop you're you're not Nothing's gonna stop him now yeah you're not i mean you should have retired like four years ago before all the injuries hit yeah yeah like when all you right, blew so... up your achilles you should just like called it a day <laughs> <laughs> right pretty much no question about it um you can briefly hit on this one trini because we got you know a couple more things and predictions at the end but just just quickly with the ale switching a little bit with price coming from toronto to here and chris davis signing back with with the Orioles and then the the Yankees getting it bolstering the bullpen even more, what AL East team worries you the most? <sighs> I am going to go with I'm going to go with the Yankees because if they have a good, even though they're old, I think I, I read I was when I was like kind of prepping for this. I read a couple previews and I think they have seven players that are 31 or older. So they're, but they have good, they have a great bullpen. And if Tanaka can stay healthy, and then you've also got Ivan Nova um, and, oh shoot, who's the young? Michael Pineda. But there's also one more um, guy that's pretty, uh, Servino. So you've got these guys, you've got these like young guy. I, I just, I feel like when you have good pitching, and you have good starting and bullpen pitching, you don't have to have a great offense. Yeah, no, I totally I, agree. I, I, just, I just think, and you've got, I mean, I don't know. Can Alex Rodriguez do it again? Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? It, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, can Jacoby Ellsbury bounce back? Can Mark Teixeira have another? I mean, he had a pretty good year last year. Can Starlin Castro can he add a little like something something to that lineup? I don't know. Um, but I think I I think that the Yankees, based on what they did last year and the fact that they have, because I, I, it's probably sexy to say Toronto, but Toronto's like the Red Sox last year. They don't have a proven ace in their in their um, 
they don't have a proven ace in their rotation. And I just think that that's going to hurt them down the stretch. You need good pitching in a league, in a, in a division where everybody um, is, has such potent lineups. Um, and I think you can get away with not having as potent of a lineup um, like the Yankees, but have good pitching. Um, and who knows? Maybe CC Sabathia will be reborn. <laughs> maybe. I mean, that'd be nice to see, I guess, for the Yankees. Um, kind of sticking with the Yankees, the whole Aroldis Chapman thing, obviously he's not getting charged. Um, suspension, maybe it's looming, maybe it's not. Um, what do you think he's going to bring to the Yankees, and do you think there's going to be any suspension from Rob Manfred? Um, I mean, obviously he's a power throwing, um, you know, back end end of the bullpen guy. I I mean, you can't argue with his physical tools, though. I do wonder at what point does his arm just literally fall off? I mean, are we like actually going to watch a guy's arm dangle from the mound because he throws so hard? Um, I, I do wonder you've got with Miller and Batances and Chapman, who ends up being your, like, is Chapman their closer? I think all they three want of them, to be, yeah. I, all three of them can be. But if he's not and you decide to go, I mean, Miller's probably going to be your eighth inning. Well, I don't know. Um, I mean, all three of them have closed. At what point do the ego, you have so many good guys, can his ego handle if for some reason they go with somebody else? I don't know. Um, but, I mean, he just makes their bullpen better. I mean, he just makes their bullpen better. Uh, as for Rob I, Rob Manfred and whether or not they suspend him, this will, to me, will be so telling of Major League Baseball and what Rob is willing, what statement he's willing to make. And you do have to be careful. I mean, you have to be, he was not charged. Um, the girlfriend didn't want to cooperate. But, and there's no pictures. That's and, and, and that's the unfortunate thing that we've fallen into here. There's no, it's not like you have the photographs or the video like we did in the Ray Rice or the, or the Greg Hardy cases in the NFL. Um, it's not even like you have sort of police statements like we saw over the weekend with um, Johnny Manziel, right? So this is just an incident that was reported and reported late, right? I mean, it happened long before um, the Dodgers started looking at him during the winter meeting. So this was sort of somehow swept under the rug, um, which puts, I, I mean, not to, to cut him any slack, but it puts Manfred in, in a tough position because do you suspend a guy based on hearsay? So I suppose it's going to – I hope that the reason there's been such a lag in any discipline is that they're really, truly, genuinely looking into this incident. Because if they just come out and do nothing about it and they don't have a great explanation for it, I think if they say they are – whether they – no matter what they decide, what, no matter what side of the discipline they decide to fall on, they have to have strong reasoning to back up their decision. Yeah, it's definitely a tough situation. It is a tough situation. And I hate even saying that because it's 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 so you know, domestic violence is often so looked at as so he said, she said, and victims of domestic violence are so often bullied into silence and threatened um and coerced by their abusers to stay silent. And I mean I've never read so much about domestic abuse. Um, as I have in the last year to try and better understand the victim mindset of it. Um, and everything you read indicates that 
often victims are so one they love the person and they they want to they don't want to believe that they love someone who is capable of doing terrible things to them so you you know the human mind sort of adapts to it and tries to really believe that this was a one-time thing he won't do this again he didn't mean to do it um, I shouldn't just say he, he or she. Um, we've obviously seen incidents now with Ronda Rousey and Hope Solo that it happens, you know, uh, both genders are guilty of violence against um, partners um, or family members. Um, but it's it's just so it's it's so difficult. It's so difficult. It's you're just put as a commissioner. I do not envy, especially after everything that's happened with the NFL. I just I don't envy the decision that Rob has to make. And being a new commissioner makes it probably even tougher. Makes it even tougher. Yeah, a lot of terrible spot. time to yeah figure out how to do things. Yeah, so I mean, just... hopefully he does a better job than the NFL because the NFL screws it up. Not hard. Yeah, that wouldn't be hard. hard. <laughs> yeah, every single time they touch anything, they you know some people touch things and it turns to gold. The NFL touches it and it like turns to poo. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So going off of Manfred, um, we actually just before on the last show we talked about how we could potentially have a designated hitter in 2017 but less than a day ago Rob Manfred kind of jumped back on that and said well maybe not going to happen didn't really the owners didn't seem interested doesn't seem like the NL wants to do that but either way you being an uh, NL person covering the Pirates and and the Brewers and such at some point maybe not 2017 but at some point are you a fan of the NL getting rid of getting rid of the pitcher batting I've never been a fan of it I've always liked the way the NL does it. I, I just think that strategically it adds a little something to the game. Like you really have to think about, okay, late in the game, my pitcher is cruising, but we've only scored one run. Do I take out my pitcher who is throwing a sh- shutout or say, you know, it's two to one. And he's given up one run and he still looks strong, but the heart of their lineup is coming up and we really de- we could really use some insurance runs. It's, it's, it, it makes it such a head game and such an intellectual. I, I love that, ch- that part of the chess match. But I will say I was reading Nick Cafardo's baseball notes this morning while reading the Globe. And he did make a good point when you're paying these pitchers so much money and they're not hitting at really any level since high school. You really open them up to injury. And you and when you invest in these guys, and then you have you, you, they go out there and they swing and they you know pull a muscle or they they hurt themselves running the bases, and now your twenty million dollar a year ace is out because he was hitting in a game and he can't even hit well. That that to me that's probably the most logical argument I've heard in favor of having the DH on both sides is just you're really protecting your most important asset on the team, which is your pitcher. But I just love the I just I love the chess match of it. I just think it 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 puts a, a manager actually has to manage, you know. So I'm torn, but I'm leading I'm leaning more towards for the overall literal health of the game. It might be best to have a DH in both leagues. And it just makes sense to me too, because like having the leagues do the same thing. Because it is weird to have them know? do. It, it, they, it should be on the same page either way. Either both should have the DH, or neither should have the DH. I don't know why it's, it's like too different. That's just strange. To and me. it's been like that for so long too. Like you'd think they'd figure out by now. Like when you go to the World Series, it's a huge disadvantage for these right. AL teams. Right. Maybe though, um, you've noticed baseball's a little slow to change. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> so yeah. It's only been forty-five years since they made that rule. <laughs> Awful. Oh God. 
Don't even want to get me started on the BBWAA. Everybody hates the BBWAA. Yeah, well, they need to get their time straight. They need to realize it's the 21st century. Um, but, again, don't forget, people, we're talking with Trenny Kisnerik here of Comcast Sports Net New England. Um, Trenny, before we let you go, it's been awesome having you on. Before we let you go, uh, we just want to get your take on the Red Sox predictions in terms of what place you think they'll be in the AL East. I know it's early, but we're still going to ask you anyway. Uh, what, what place they'll be in the AL East, how many wins do you think they'll have? If so, uh, is that the playoff team or not type of thing? I'm going to say yes, they're a playoff team. I'm going to say they put it together this year and because I think that if they start to struggle at any point, I think Dombrowski is a bull. I think he'll pull the trigger on either firing the manager, benching Hanley, making a trade that he has to make at the deadline. He's not afraid to do that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm going to say they, they win 90 and they uh, win the AL East. 90 wins. I like that. Wow. That sounds great. I like it, too. So, yeah. if they do make the playoffs, then, with the 90 wins... Really, I went 90 because it's, like, a nice round number, and I knew then I think, like, 72 would be their losses, and I think that was more, like, easy math for me to do. That's <laughs> really <laughs> hey, where that came simple. from, yeah. Whatever, training. Whatever works, man. That's good. It's good. So they, uh, yeah, I just think, I think like, a better... I think because they have... Like, you know, we were talking about the Yankees being their biggest competition. I mean, yep. really, the, the Sox have now a... They have the potential, just like every every team has potential. Any team can get hurt, and then it's, you know, David Price blows out his arm two weeks into the season. They're not going to have 90 wins. I mean, it's just that simple. You know, if Masahiro Tanaka has to, um, you know, have surgery again and miss half the year, he it's he's he's done. They're, the Yankees aren't good. Yep. But the Red Sox not only have what looks like a solid rotation and looks like a solid bullpen, but with their young offensive players mixed in with an Ortiz. And I would have to think that Pablo Sandoval have a little bit better of a year this year, particularly if they're winning and they're playing well. Plus some of the young guys, I think you have a better lineup. Um, so I think they're one of the few teams in the ALE that kind of has, for the most part, all of their pieces together. So we're going to... Um... We're going to have a baseball season past May. That would be nice. Uh, and maybe and that's gonna have... my wishful thinking as well, because I'm tired <laughs> of, like, by June being like, oh, sweet, minicamp. I can talk about the Patriots again. Yeah. As a baseball no, person, that's I get told. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And hopefully the Yankees stuff in September means something, too, because I miss the Red Sox-Yankees back Yeah. It, it would be nice for those two teams to both be competitive late and have that those series mean something again. Because yeah. ever since I moved here – I remember one of my first assignments in 2012, um, and this is when the, the Sox were in last place, was they sent me to cover a Sox-Yankees series and said, we want you to do a package on how this doesn't even, this late September matchup doesn't matter at all because the Yankees are so much better than the Red Sox this year. And in 2013, it was exactly the opposite. Like, neither team, it's, baseball's better when those two teams have a good rivalry brewing. All four is proof of that. It's fun yes, to watch. It's fun to watch. There's a genuine, you know, dislike. I don't want to say hatred, but dislike between the two teams and the cities and the way that they're run. And, you know, you can get the – that's where I like, you know, and, I mean, you don't get as much now from Hal as you did from George. But, you know, you'll get John Henry or Tom Warner or somebody lobbing out an insult about the way the Yankees do things versus the way, you know, the Red Sox do. And it's it's fun. That, to me, is fun. Um so I would I would love if those two maybe not neck and neck but close <laughs> enough that maybe the the Yankees still had like a viable chance of catching the Red Sox if they don't. 
That would be nice. And I would love a good uh, Twitter beef between the two Twitter handles because we've seen it between the Red Sox and other teams, but we yeah. haven't seen it from the Twitter. There Red really Sox hasn't teams. been a reason. There really hasn't exactly. been a reason. Well, again, this is Trenny Kisneric of Comcast Sportsnet New England. You can find her on Twitter at Trenny, T-R-E-N-N-I is how you spell it to get to Twitter. Uh, Trenny, we sincerely appreciate you taking the time to join us on your day off here on a Sunday. Um, and we sincerely appreciate it. Unfortunately, I, I'm apologizing for the Patriots that you're not going to San Francisco. It's okay. But um, you get to go to Fort Myers soon. We don't. So you have that up on I do. And I get to go to Istanbul. I get to go to Istanbul in a week and a half. So that's the coolest thing I get to do. That's exciting. Yes. Well, vacay. Lots of people like to vacation. A little training time. A little in, personal um, time. In countries that border like Syria and stuff. That's, that's <laughs> normal. <laughs> Uh, well, Trini, again, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, don't feel free to be uh, – you can come on anytime you want. You're more than welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for being so yeah, so you. easy to, to to get on the show and to work everything out with. Yeah, no it. problem. I'm glad that I was able to do it. All right. Again, that is Trini Kisneric. Thank you so much, Trini, and have a good one. Thanks. You too. All right. Again, that's Trini of Comcast Sportsnet New England. I'm sure you guys have all seen her beautiful mug on TV. Covering all all things New England sports, and again, you can find her on Twitter at Trenny. Uh, thanks to Jeff Thomas, our one and only, for getting her on the show. Hey man, uh, do what I can for the show. It, yeah, appreciate guess it. Yes, make the show better, and prime example here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good good uh, good talking to her. We're gonna touch base for a second, but first, don't forget, uh, Red Sox fans, you can check out Bruins Beat here on CLNS Radio. Uh, tune in for news, recaps, and game previews, along with news around the league. Tune in as Jason Buckley and Michael Setapani host new shows every Saturday. Get your hockey fix before the Red Sox get going here in Boston. Um, guys, she said a lot of good stuff. Obviously, we talked to her for a little bit here, so that's always good. Um, two things that personally I want to touch on before we kind of move on to some smaller stuff before we get out of here for the week. First thing with the John Farrell kind of situation, because I kind of with her, she believed that John Farrell – um, was going to be let go, and the Red Sox were going to use the cancer as a way of saying, okay, we're gonna, he's not healthy, quote-unquote, we're going to get him out, and Lavua is going to be our guy. That's what I believe. But that doesn't look like – that's obviously not what's happening here. Um, I, but I'm with Trenny on that one. I think she's spot on. I think that's what we all expected. It's it's funny. I kind of – when it was announced that he had cancer, I thought that they'd keep him around just for that fact. They didn't want to let him go. And – uh they didn't want to look like, oh, he has cancer and now he's losing his job. Yeah. So um, I like that she did bring that up. And I do think, I mean, it's it's such a bad thing to say that you only think that they're really keeping him around because of his illness. They didn't want to get rid of him. But like, why else would they be keeping Tori Lavulo around? They wouldn't shock me by any means. Unless, unless Lavulo really is so dedicated to him that he was like, oh, I don't want to be the manager and he can be the manager as long as he wants. I'm still going to stick by him. Maybe that's the case, but it's still it's, he clearly he was good last year at the end of the season, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind managing the Red Sox someday if he could, which may very well happen soon. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me that anything behind the scenes when they when that contract negotiation happened that there was something nudge nudge wink wink like Tony said something's behind the scenes got little sniffles there big guy. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, back to what I was saying, but a little nudge nudge wink wink hey. Take some more money, keep you around. We'll see how this goes. Because you know that Lavulo obviously wants to be a manager. No person in baseball should be content with being a bench coach. So, like, to me, it looks like he could have had another job. He chose not to. And now he's getting paid almost like manager salary to be a bench coach because he knows there's something that could happen here. I hope for Farrell's sake. I just hope that he does well and that 
there's no awkwardness and there's no like question. Oh, should we should we get rid of him? This team's not good again. Hopefully, they're just good. He does a good job. He can stop worrying about his job security and can just enjoy managing the team because he probably hasn't enjoyed managing the team a whole lot besides 2013 because it hasn't gone very well. Yeah, exactly. And the 13 team kind of um, pulled a horseshoe out of their keisters because that team should not have won a World Series, and they did. So don't get me wrong, it was a fun run. I loved every second of it, Red Sox fans, but you know that team was not built to win a World Series, and they got lucky banking on some older guys, especially Shane Victorino. Um, and Beards. But, and Beards yeah. and that whole nostalgia. And that, that kind of stuff does win championships, not just, but um, it wasn't a team that was ever, everyone expected to win. The Tigers were expected to get there, not us, and we still beat them, like that whole thing. We all know the story by now. Um, second thing I wanted to bring like, quickly bring around here was the Ortiz situation. Um, she brought up that she doesn't really know how much she can he can help him in terms of David Price kind of here in Boston. I think he can help a lot because um, if you have a guy who used to hate you and used to be annoyed with you and you guys used to go back and forth, now in your side, showing you the ropes here in Boston – and coming from a side of this is exactly what it takes to be good here. You need to just kind of keep your head down. It's great to be uh, interactive with the fans, but if you're going to pitch bad, expect it to come. But now you have a year with David Ortiz to be there and be like, okay, if it's going bad, this is going to happen. I told you it's going to happen. Just keep your head up. And you have a whole year with him in case this does happen to help him out. And then if you get in the playoffs, you have you have David Ortiz there to be like, all right, dude, let's do it. You're in Boston. You want to win. This town's great. You should you see when it happens when we win. That whole thing's great. David Ortiz can have a huge influence, in my opinion, with David Price this year. I, yeah. I want to – go ahead. I say he's been with the team long enough to know what needs to be done, and I think he's a good voice and a, definitely a good person to learn from. I want to agree with you, but just considering what happened with Hanley last year and how Ortiz was big buzz with Hanley and how Hanley's still as bad as he did, it makes me wonder how much how – much influ- I mean, he has – incredible amount of influence, period, but on someone like that who you would think he'd be helping and he's in his corner, I didn't really see the difference that he made but, in terms of Hanley. Maybe Hanley's impossible. But now you're comparing Hanley Ramirez to David Price. No, I'm not, and I think that Price would be more willing to like listen and actually care And for someone who's supposed to be such a huge part of the team. Hanley was, too, because of how much money they gave him, but let's be realistic, <laughs> not as much as Price. That was the money. That was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think in terms and of that, it should be a little better. I'm just not yeah. 100% sure. Hanley's, I think that, Hanley's also a sorry. giant man-child. I think Price has yeah. a little more maturity than him. Well, and we know maybe. Price is a good dude because he's so good with the fans. He interacts with the fans. He embraces. He embraced Toronto the second he got there. And like he took that in as a city and was on for the ride. I think he's going to do the same thing here in Boston. I think he's going to come in. Yeah, I, and Trenny's completely right when she says that Boston's a completely other animal, basically. I get that. It is. It's hard to be here unless you know if unless you can really have that makeup to be here. But I think having David Ortiz next to a guy like David Price, I think it can be a huge help. Yeah, I think that I, – I think he'll do well. I, I'm glad he's a really good teammate because I've read so many things since we got him that said that he's just the greatest teammate. He's going to make a huge influence on him. I'm concerned, too, with how sensitive he kind of is with the stuff and, and the social media and all that. But it'll be interesting to see how he does in the first couple of months and how much he interacts with the fans and what he does in the clubhouse. And obviously if he gets off to a good start in the mound, because that's really what we are looking for yeah. overall. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it'll be a big first couple of months. I'd be interested to see how he does. Cause yeah, a lot of guys fail in Boston. It's no secret to anybody. No, absolutely not. And I think and I said this when Dave Dombrowski got hired, that the fans are going to make up their mind pretty quickly about him. Like if he has three, four good quality starts in a row, then we're going to love him. If he has 
those three, four starts and they're terrible, we're going to be booing him off the mound, and he's going to have to learn to deal with that because if he bounces yep. back from those four bad starts and he's doing really well, we're going to love him again. Yeah, that was place works. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very bipolar, us here, us Red Sox fans, and us fans in general of all the sports here in New England. We just kind of, if you're not doing well, we're going to tell you. Because we want to win, and we, we're, exactly. we're wasting our, our money, but I mean. So greedy. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, if you're yeah, making that yeah. much money and you're not doing your job, like, can you just give it to me so I can get by a little bit better, please? Like, yeah. it just doesn't Especially make sense. guys are supposed to be, like, good players. It's not like we're getting scrubs off the side of the road and saying, here, get some money. Why don't you play for the Red Sox? Like, these guys are supposed like, to be can't... good ball players. Like, this is David Price. Like, he should be able to come in here and pitch. It shouldn't be. Like, I understand he's been soft in the past, but I think I think he's going to do all. I'm obviously being optimistic, because, I, which is weird because I never am. That's but weird. I, I am actually I actually going to be optimistic with this because he's proven time and time again he can pitch in this division, and that's the huge part for me. Yeah, yep. pitching in the American League is definitely a positive for him because – Yep. It's definitely a hard league to pitch in. And another positive for him is that he has a really good record at Fenway. So that's good, too. Yeah, he, he does like to pitch here, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> it appears that seems way. Like he always, yeah, so let's see if it translates when he's not pitching against the Red Sox. Because <laughs> right. um, that's not possible anymore. So um, do you guys have any other things you want to catch on with Chuddy said before we move on? Um, I like your DH thoughts, like being a little torn. Because, yeah, it is it is fun with the strategicness of, of when to take a guy out. Obviously, I've said in the past, I like it better when you just can leave your pitcher in as long as you want because he's out there to pitch, not to hit. So in terms of that, mm-hmm. I like the strategicness of it, but I think she definitely came around to thinking, like, why are the leagues doing different things and why would you want to get your ace pitcher hurt because he's swinging a stick that he hasn't swung his entire life? It's worse for the game. when it's Like she said, it's not, it's not the same thing. And it's better for the game if the whole league is doing the same thing, so that it's con- it's continuity. It yeah. makes the game better. And newer generations, the millennials of the world, they like high-powered entertainment, offensive type baseball. That's why the NBA is such a hit. It's entertainment. That's why the NFL is a hit. It's entertainment. Baseball is still not entertainment, and that's why it's lack. Yeah, and unfortunately, we have to wait a little longer. Apparently, as of yeah, you know, the last twenty-four hours. Right. Uh, happen, so. that, baseball. That's so frustrating because, like, if I'm gonna watch my ace pitcher go down because he's swinging, or like I said, like he rounds the base wrong and he goes down, I'm gonna be so mad because it's like it's just so unnecessary that, like, a there goes the money blown. B there probably goes most of our season. And C there goes our pitcher. Like we need <laughs> we need him. He's we're not losing somebody that we don't need or doesn't make an impact. Like our starting rotation makes an impact, and if they're gonna be in the lineup and they get hurt, like. I don't know. Something needs to be done about that. And she's sitting here talking about these, like these aces, and like we're making these predictions. And well, if David Price goes down in the first two weeks, then everything's going to change. If Masahiro Tanaka goes down, everything's going to change. What if those guys are in the NL and they got injured in the first couple of weeks hitting? Everyone's what if be Clay like, Buckles wow. was in the? What if Clay Buckles <laughs> was in the NL? He can barely swing a bat. Never mind try to run bases. He'd, he'd be hurt opening. He'd snap day. half. He would snap in half trying to round first on his first attempt at running the bases on opening. You day. remember oh. when they put him as a pinch runner though? Yes. I don't know why. I'm surprised, so I'm surprised he didn't snap in half like someone snapped spaghetti he, when they put him. He just looks awkward in a batting helmet, that poor guy. He swings lefty, really, it's too. The hair. It's the hair. It's the hair. That's why That's why Clay Buckholz looks awkward. Um, so, yeah, so, again, we appreciate Trenny coming on um, and kind of doing her thing with us. We appreciate her that for that. Um, Robbie Ross, void arbitration, signed with the Red Sox. Uh, real quick, guys. Robbie Ross is Robbie Ross. I mean, I'm not a, I'm a big fan of him. I know um, Jared Carabas of Barcelona Sports is a huge fan of him. We're going to have him on soon again. Um, but what do you guys take on this? Do you guys like Robbie Ross? I do. Hey. Because 
when we needed a closer last year, when nobody was cutting it, he came in. He actually pitched well as a closer for the most part. I thought he brought a lot to the table in terms of that. I think he's a good guy to have around. I, I like his pitching style. I like how he how he throws. He does a little hop, and he's kind of got a deceptive little lefty lefty delivery where he kind of hides the ball for a second because he kind of throws like way to the side. I think he's a good guy to have around. Yeah, definitely, definitely a good guy to have around. His ERA was under four last year. His career ERA is under four, and. Uh, if we need a closer, you know, God forbid something happens to Kimbrel and Tazawa, then you know he's there. Like he's there and everybody else. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, he's there if like the seven other guys go down, but no, like he's there when you need him. And now the Red Sox have no unsigned players for arbitration, so that's I mean that's kind of a positive. But he's good to have when when he's needed, he's there. So it's it's good to have somebody like that. Okay. I, other guys I that one oh, of the sorry. more like consistent players on a really inconsistent team last year. True, but it wasn't hard to be consistent with that team. Well, no. On their side. Both it wasn't hard players. to be the most consistent player when the whole team Wade started. Miley. That's who it was. <laughs> that was Mr. Consistent. That, Wade Miley is Mr. Consistent. That's right. Uh, consistently mediocre, but still at least consistent. That is for sure. Same um, <laughs> other guys that Other guys that are around the Red Sox system, Red Sox have four out of the top 40 prospects in MLB.com's top prospect list. At seven, it's Yoel Mankata, 17, Rafael Devers, right? Uh, 25 is Andrew uh, Bentonetti, and 39 is Anderson Espinoza. Um, I put money down on it that three of those four guys could be gone by the end of the year if Dabrowski gets his way. Yeah, I don't. I mean, we have a stacked farm system, and Dombrowski's obviously known for getting rid of prospects, um, good or bad. But I think you know, trade deadline and or we just oh they're so stacked, and it's it's nice to see that we have those people in the MLB top prospects. I think that says a lot about farm system, a lot about the players. And I mean, like I said, Jared, three out of four, I wouldn't be surprised if they're gone. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to have four of the top 40. That's insane. In addition to already having the, so many great young players already on the major league roster. Yeah. Obviously Moncada is not a guy you want to get rid of. I don't know as much about Devers and Ben Intendi. I've, I've seen a lot of good stuff about Ben Intendi. I mean, we just got him recently in the draft, so it'll take a while for him. But I, apparently, I, he's got some pop. Yeah, he's he's a really good hitter, an outfielder. And then Espinosa is so young. I think he's either 17 or 18, and I've heard a ton of good things about him. So I would be wary in trading him too. So you'd have to get the right guy. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm personally more in favor of getting proven MLB players instead of one race prospects are going to be good. But there's got to be something to be said for how high these guys are rated. Yeah, Absolutely. but prospects have prospect value for a reason. And we've always talked about this, and this has kind of been the Red Sox problem for years, a couple of years now, is that they value their prospects more than they value the current team. And the fact that they were afraid, Ben Sherrington was afraid to deal his prospects that he had in the system to go get guys that would have helped his team out. If this team come around trade deadline, is missing one piece and they could be contenders, he, you bet your keister that he is going to deal one of these guys, if not more, to get that piece they need to go win a title this year. Yeah, and Dave Dombrowski's the guy to do it, too. You know, he's, yep. like I said, if there's a missing piece, he's going to be the guy to put, to put together something. And he's not afraid to get rid of players, whether they're prospect, the top-rated prospects or whether it's a position player that we already have on the team. He's not afraid yep. to do that. And I think, it's, I think we're going to see a big move at the trade deadline, but... I mean, that's months and months away. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but he's definitely the guy to do it. And he already yep. showed, too, that he's willing, considering he got rid of numerous prospects to get Kimbrel. So mm-hmm. he'll do it, obviously. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's not afraid to deal prospect. He empties out the entire Tiger's farm system. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so he's not afraid. Which a lot of people didn't like him for. <laughs> yeah. So, and then they brought him here and the, with the best farm system in baseball. Hopefully he doesn't repeat himself, but I'm okay with dealing a few of them if that means get a title within the next couple of years because we need another one. Um, and finally, one more baseball-related thing before we get out of here. Um, Vince, Scu- Vince Scully got a named after him, a street named after him. That's exciting. That's, I mean, not surprising because the guy's a legend, but, like, he got a street. Is it, I'm assuming it's in L.A., like, actually in L.A.? Yeah, they're, re- they're renaming a street. It's Right now it's uh, Elysian Park Avenue, E-L-Y-S-I-A-N, however you say that. And they're renaming yep. that Vince Scully Avenue. Gotcha. So that's that's, that's so exciting cool. for him. That's so cute. I mean, his career's over, so he's up. He's over when the Dodgers are over this year, so. And that he'll always be part of L.A. I mean, no, there's no doubt he always would have been anyway, but this just kind of seals the deal. I I think that's wicked mm-hmm. cool. I mean, how much of an impact you have to have on a team in an entire city to get a street named after you. Crazy. I know, it's awesome. And he's, he's pumped, too. He's, there's a quote from him here. He said, quote, I'm overwhelmed. I was raised in the streets of New York, and to have a street named after me in Los Angeles is almost too much to comprehend. <laughs> <laughs> but If only there'd be an Orsillo Road in Boston somewhere. <laughs> there should be. But unfortunately, he was here for 15 years, not 67. <laughs> could have been here for 67. He could have been, been here for 67 years. I totally agree on that. Oh, man. Well, it's going to be a new year, new new broadcast. Um, so that's it. There's the show for the week. Um Again, we, I want to thank uh, Trenny for coming on. Trenny Kuznarek of Comcast Sports Net New England. Uh, great to co- talk a little baseball with her, especially considering we're all still in the depression of the Patriots losing. So it's nice to kind of get those wheels turned a little bit. She's heading to spring training into February, so it'll be exciting for us to get that coverage back on a day-to-day basis and not to be talking boring off-season stuff anymore. Um, don't forget, our show is brought to you by uh, Grandstand, the new sports app. Sports highlights straight from the crowd. Uh, share your own sports highlights and watch videos straight from the crowd, all from the fans' perspective. Download Grandstand on the App Store or at Grandstand.me. Also, a secondary shout-out to Casper because Trenny owns a Casper mattress, which is How awesome. How funny is that? So, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, again, Nick, if you're listening, not planned at all. Um, she actually is a great user of Casper. Um, but, yeah, so, again, you can follow her at Trenny as well. Of course, you know you guys can see her on TV all the time when she's on. Um, appreciate, Jess, you getting her again, getting her ready to go for the show. Um you can follow us on Twitter at Red Sox underscore beat. Again, don't forget that's the new Twitter handle. Uh, Facebook, Red Sox Beat Podcast. We're on Tumblr. And, of course, please and thank you. Subscribe, rate, and review us to us on iTunes, as well as you can get to us on Stitcher or the CLNS Radio mobile app as well. Uh, don't forget to check out the app. It's great stuff. You can listen to all the CLNS Radio uh, family uh, podcasts. Um, also, quick note, don't forget, uh, as the season kind of quickly approaches here, you're going to get more and more written coverage on the Red Sox side, led by our fearless Jess Thomas. <laughs> Um, we have so, a lot on yeah, there right so, now. We've had, uh, what, six or seven articles posted in the last week and a half. So go check it out now because there's some, some hot winter weekend information. Thanks to Winter Weekend for that hot bed of articles because um, there was nothing before that. Uh, um, but, yeah, so obviously we'll get you caught up with spring training in 18 days, right? Pitchers and catchers report. So um, big news there. and We'll get more as the time comes. And we're obviously heading into the right direction towards spring and baseball here back in Boston down the road. Um, but for now, we'll, we'll kind of leave you at that, of course. Uh, for Jess Thomas, Lauren Campbell, and myself, we again appreciate Trenny Kisneric of CSNE coming on this week. And uh, we'll be back next week, uh, a little Super Bowl weekend edition of Red Sox Beat. Until then, uh, this is Red Sox Beat on Sea Honest Radio.